From Washington, this is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, March 18th. You're listening to the Macrocast. This is Tony Fratto with Hamilton Place Strategies. Uh, as always, we have John Fagan and Brendan Walsh at Marcus Policy Partners with us. And uh, and uh, and also excited to have uh, Bri Odeon SN with us uh, today from uh, SW4 Insights. I was near the SW4 uh, last week in London, Bri. Bri is uh, is with us because it's, um, you know, this is uh, this is Fed week. It's FOMC week. We had a presser uh, earlier this week. John Fagan, why don't you give us a take on this? Is it, just say like, you know, this is the day, day we've been waiting for for, for a while. It was, uh, you know, uh, Fed raise day, first time since 2018. And uh, what's your take on it? Yeah, that's right. It, the first time since December 2018, that was a, an ill-fated rate hike, that last one in the in the tightening cycle, after yes. which the Fed was forced to pirouette uh, to uh, hastily into a loosening posture as the U.S.-China trade battle heated up in 2019. Uh, this is obviously a very different circumstance, an incredibly difficult backdrop. Chair Powell alluded to the, uh, again, to the degree of uncertainty in uh, in the forecast, but essentially into this, you know, very challenging context uh, with inflation risks. Uh, now, your questions about stagflation, the impact of high gasoline prices in particular on the consumer. Uh, we talked last week about, you know, consumer surveys flagging uh, and questions in the market about, you know, the treasury yield curve, not necessarily flashing red, but flashing more growth concerns. Certainly, uh, you know, markets uh, expressing some some tension and uh, and some uh, some concerns uh, around the, the growth picture and just the, the geostrategic outlook. And the Fed waded into this macro morass and basically hit the ball right down the fairway, I think is a fair way to state it. You know, the projections were probably a little bit more hawkish maybe than market participants thought, but market participants were already kind of, that's the way that uh, that the futures had been pricing rate hikes, steady 25 basis point rate hikes at every um, at every meeting this year. And that's essentially what the Fed kind of ratified. So it was uh, uh, also Chair Powell emphasized, I think, um, you know, importantly that the the Fed is being cautious. Uh, you know, they're they're looking at both sides of the of the risk. They expressed confidence in the strength of the economy and tried to tried to quell concerns that they would be pushing the economy into a recession potentially to deal with this inflation problem. Uh, Chair Powell really didn't concede any any ground on that point and uh, and focused on just how strong uh, the U.S. economy is now and how the labor market can withstand some modest uh, and and um, and determined but modest uh, uh, and gradual Fed tightening. So overall, the equity markets liked it. Uh, The bond market looked, you know, it was it wasn't too much more volatile than it's been uh, a little bit on the hawkish side, but still that kind of flattening aspect in the yield curve gives everybody a little bit of concern in the background. It's just a tough environment for the Fed, no question. Right. If you'd been in that room uh, and had a chance to ask Powell, was there, was there a question you would have liked to ask that you didn't see asked? Um, so I, I went, I, went you know, I, listened, I listened to the press conference and I went over the transcripts of you know the discussion afterwards. And I, I, I do think one thing that struck me and he did try to push back on this, but the question I would have asked him explicitly just to like get his take on it is his his thoughts on everyone treating the, the quarterly projections that the FMC releases, which are 
it's like a, basically these are medians of everyone's individual projections. Yeah. Uh, they, they sort of combine and release as one thing. His thoughts and everyone treating them as FOMC projections, right? Like, all, like yeah. this, all this report is, it's, it's a summary of each, each participant's thoughts on the direction of inflation, employment, GDP, and future rate increases. But everyone just takes and thinks, oh, the FOMC is saying we're going to see this much growth next year. We're going to see this much unemployment next year. We're going to see this much inflation next year. I feel like it tends to mislead a lot of folks as to the potential direction of future monetary policy because they treat these projections as a joint collective FOMC forecast. When actuality is just, these are just medians that are trying to capture everyone's diverse yeah. thinking on the economy. So I would have loved to get him to like explicitly explain to folks that this is not, in fact, one body's views. It's, it's just trying to capture what are very diverse views in that room. That's a really good point. And the diversity of views is clear with uh, St. Louis Fed President Bullard, who's been the, <laughs> he's been the vociferous hawk out on CNBC advocating for 3% policy rate by year end, faster and more aggressive hikes, balance sheet reduction and so forth. Uh, he's certainly been leading the charge on that front. Yeah, and yeah. it's another question back to Tony's uh, original question to me about what I would have asked is that I've been told in the past that when you're, when you're monitoring Fed speak, besides obviously following the folks who are actual voters on the committee at any given year, is that really when it comes to policy directions, it's the chairman, the vice chairman, and the president of the New York Fed, right? So I would have put, put Powell on the spot and said, you know, your colleagues are always out there speaking about what they think policy should be. Should we be listening to every bloody person that comes on and, and says, I want a 50 basis point rate hike, right? Like, should we just be, should we be ignoring all of them and just focusing on what you say, what your vice chair says, and what the New York Fed president says? And that way the market can better tune out the noise and pay attention to the folks that matter. I think he's going to say, I think he would say to that, uh, do whatever you want to do, you know, listen to whatever yeah. you want to listen to. And, uh, uh, you choose, you know, you, you, choose, you be, you be the market, uh, uh, participant by just interpreting whatever it is that you want to interpret, but here's what, you know, here's what, what, the, the words that we have to say you're going to find in this, uh, FOMC statement. And that's, uh, that's the official position. I think, I, look, I, you know, Chris Waller was just on uh, CNBC about 15 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Saying, uh, you know, I think I think he said he expects, uh, you know, two and a quarter to two and a half by the end of the year. I think that's that's probably it sounds about right. Right, guys. I mean, I, I think that's probably where they're, uh, you know, where they're going to be. Um, I don't think they're going to be above three, but there is sort of this this. Uh, you know, we, we we talked about this in the past on the macro cast about that there was a time when you really could do that, Brian. Right? I mean, um, you know, I remember the days of um, you know where you, you know you really only had maybe two or three Fed governors speaking at any point in time, and even the regional Fed presidents um, just spoke a whole lot less. There was not all of this uh, talk, you know. So you'd get, um, you know, you'd have Greenspan, and maybe you know uh, Myers would be, you know, frequently uh, out, or an Alan Blinder or someone, you know, just like there were a handful that would be out um, talking, but it wasn't that many. And yeah. uh, now, now it's all of them. And I guess you know, it's, there has to be some maturation in among. Um, analysts and market participants, even us. And as we talk about what we think is going to happen and in, in making that decision. And so like our listeners should listen to you, Brian, I think you have a, like, you have a good perspective that, um, you know, maybe like your, your point is well taken. Maybe, uh, you know, people should stop listening to all of these other voices and just listen to what 
you know, Powell and, uh, uh, and a couple of the other guys say. Yeah, because I, I do think Powell is, he, he continues to the tradition that Fetch and have had of like trying to reflect the opinions of the board and the FMC, you know, on a larger basis. And they rarely ever say anything that diverges from that, right? And so yeah. if, he, if, if, if they want to communicate that, hey, here's the direction we're, going, we're looking at, you know, as a group, it'll be reflected in their speeches, right? Like if you go back to yeah. Powell's comments, you know, from the press conference when he said, you know, we will be nimble in responding to incoming data. That, I think that's a very clear indication that none of, none of, the, none of this is predetermined. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, have a sense of, they have a sense of which direction they want to go in. But I think just between things like Ukraine, the still ongoing pandemic, which we, everyone likes to act like it's over, yeah. but it's not. You know, it's just, it's, just, it's just too soon to predict what they will do. And so I think, to his point, and they, they did say every meeting is a live meeting. I know the Federalist says this, but I think in this case, it's especially true that it will definitely be a case-by-case basis where they determine um, as when they meet with it and the data they've seen up to that point, what they will do. But it's, it's like driving a car in a storm and trying to get home safely. You don't speed to get home faster, right? You drive slowly and carefully so you can make adjustments on the road based on weather conditions. I think that's what the Fed's doing right now. Well, look, I think that's to me, I think that's what they say. But I still think that I mean, I think they're saying two different things, right? They're saying that we're data dependent. We're saying we're going to be able to see what we see and and make a determination um, as new information comes in and we're in a dynamic world and all that. But what what is being heard repeatedly, you know, I think pretty persistently is, you know, quarter point rises on a steady step up for quite a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, right. So it's not getting, like if you have, if you go out and, and poll market participants, you don't have to poll them. They're telling you in, in their, in, uh, in their reports is quarter points from, you know, either six consecutive quarter point rises or nine consecutive quarter point rises. Mm-hmm. And all I know is that the world changed a lot over the last nine, over the previous nine Fed meetings, it did not move in a steady line in any direction, right? There was like lots of different whips and turns. We had Delta and Omicron and inflation exceeding expectations and build back better happening and then not happening and war in Ukraine. All these things happened over the last nine months and that they're projecting and the, and the, what the market is hearing is a steady quarter point rise for the next uh, nine meetings the next year. And I, I, my sense is that they, that the, the next year is going to look something like the last year in some ways. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think the market is prepared for uh, a two months from now, a, a 50 point, you know, uh, uh, rise. That would be, that would come not as a surprise to the market. It would come as a shock to the market. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And Chair Powell is, you know, Chair Powell obviously is, is when he talked about inflation, they uh, he focused on the sort of pre-Ukraine situation, which they the Fed had uh, thought that first quarter might be the peak uh, as supply chain, you know, entanglements maybe get sorted out. But obviously, you know, with this, the uh, the expectations for longer uh, inflation have have that that has uh, that's obviously uh, come into the picture here. We'll talk a little bit more about the reverberations from Ukraine. But, you know, it's just a, it's a kind of a difficult we've talked about this aspect before. It's a little bit difficult rhetorically for Fed Chair Powell to get up there and say, you know, inflate, you know, inflation is really supply driven. We've got some supply shock dynamics. And, you know, and here's how rate hikes are the, you know, the right prescription for that. Yeah. Um, I think that his focus really was 
on, you know, when it came to the growth situation, it was growth is so good, you know, we can, we can focus on uh, fighting inflation uh, and, uh, and tamping down uh, inflation expectations and not have to worry uh, about growth sliding off. Now that is going to be, that's obviously if we are in a cyclical slowdown um, and the consumers do get uh, taxed, so to speak, at the pump to the degree that they can't keep up the spending uh, at the pace expected, well, you know, that'll be a very different kind of picture. And, uh, and that's sort of a crossroads that the Fed might get to over the summer and have to decide, you know, is this, do we forge on with our rate hikes in the face of a slowing economy? That's a much more challenging decision than lifting off right now when growth situation certainly is, is on side. Waller uh, said this morning that uh, were it not for Ukraine, uh, he would have been in favor of a 50 point, um, a 50 basis point hike. Do you, do you think that's, do you guys think that's where the Fed would have been, but for uh, Russia invading Ukraine? We never had 50 as our base case. We always no. thought that they would have, uh, you know, a more measured response. And, uh, and I think that, you know, it's, it's hard to say if Ukraine was the decider, but we thought it was pretty likely that they would start with 25. 50 looks just a little bit panicky. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. I think one, the one, Fed, one thing the Fed always wants to project is like calm at the, at the wheel um, and not being behind the curve. Right? So I, I think if they did 50, it would be an, an admission that they had some catching up to do. So I, I would have been very surprised they'd done 50. But the, the, but the thing is, what if they do have catching up to do, though, Bri? But like, what if they, what if they do? I mean, you know, that you, you see what I'm saying? Like they're, they're yeah. saying like they don't want to panic the markets by saying uh, we have catching up to do, but what if you do have catching up to do? I think it's, it's, it's axiomatic that they are late, not by, because they're bad people or because they, you, you know, or uh, are incompetent. These are really, you know, inherently truly difficult things to do. But it's like, you know, it's like you're running the relay race and uh, you're coming around the second turn and you say, well, don't run too hard because, you know, people might think you're behind. It's like you are behind. You know, you got to get to get to a place. I just think like being clear on communication here uh, should be a should be a, a, a brighter goal for the Fed right now than worrying about that kind of stuff. Like say exactly what you mean and what you think and not worry about panicking the market. I don't know. That's my view. That's what I, I that's what I would be counseling if I were there. I think one, one mitigating factor maybe to why they're not going faster is to a point John made. And I think we discussed this last time I was on was that some of this inflation has been driven by supply side issues, yeah. right? Which the Fed cannot do much about. No so doubt. That could be one reason why they feel that they don't need to like, Hike rates as quickly because it will not necessarily fix some of this ongoing supply, which has been, has been exacerbated by the Ukraine-Russia, you know, war. And you know, and I think the the, the issue in the nickel market is one of the things we're going to talk about later as well, which is an example yeah. of that supply side shock, right? And it's like raising rates will not necessarily fix some of these like supply chain bottlenecks, you know, ships being stuck at the ports of LA and Long Beach, etc. Um, so maybe that's, you know, that could be one argument the Fed would make for why they're not necessarily going 50-50-50. That, that actually, that, I mean, look, I mean, that brings us to another, uh, to just a, another point on this is that, um, you, you know, you, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to, you know, you're worried about growth. So now you're worried about growth. So you don't want to dampen demand. At the same time, you know that the consequence of the Ukraine invasion is to elevate inflation. So you're, you, you are making a, a, a choice again to 
allow inflation uh, in this, you know, in this moment rather than uh, rather than fighting, you know, truly fighting inflation. I mean, like we know that this is the we know that this is the case. We've seen it in lots of, you know, lots of areas. And this is just this, this is just to emphasize just, just how difficult it is. Like, to, like, you know, when you get this, if you get this wrong, uh, how, you know, how challenging it is to bring the this ship back into uh the right course it's just it's really really tough to do and um i think they're in a bind you know i think they're chasing inflation they're chasing events i think powell's um motives were absolutely pure the board's motives were absolutely pure in uh allowing the economy to run a little bit hot so that uh uh, people at the uh, you know the the, the lower end of the uh, income scale would uh, would do better. Mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely true that they, it's we know it's true because we know that the goal of the Fed is to keep uh, inflation modest. Uh, so they failed at that, and you know running hot has uh, has contributed to um, these external uh, or you know these other forces of inflation, fiscal you know the huge fiscal. Uh, um, uh, support for the economy and supply chain bottlenecks, but the Fed's job, you know, as we know, we say we say it has it only has uh, you know has two jobs, you know, um, price stability is the number one of those jobs, and so it hasn't it hasn't uh, met that uh, you know met that goal. I think it would do better to get back to that goal. I don't, and I don't think personally, I don't think recession is in the offing if they if they run a little harder against inflation. I really don't. I think they do need to send a signal that they are very serious about not allowing inflation. And John, I think your point that it was hawk- more hawkish than people were expecting, uh, but I still don't think it was hawkish enough, actually. And uh, it really is in contrast to some of the other major central banks. We saw the European Central Bank come out and, uh, and they kind of were a little bit hawkish on one hand, uh, as we talked about uh, last time, you know, the potential for them to be shrinking the balance sheet a little bit faster than expected, but then kicking, uh, you know, almost in the same sentence, then kicking rate hikes further into the future. The Bank of Japan came out overnight and said, we're steady as she goes. We're still doing, you know, we're still on the lowest uh, monetary uh, and most ultra accommodative monetary settings. And so this kind of brings, this implicates the, the dollar. When you do have the divergence, you have had uh, dollar appreciation. This is part and parcel of the tightening. This is what it's supposed to do. Financial conditions tighten in a lot of different ways. And uh, certainly like getting expectations where they are is, a, is, is tightening in and of itself. We've seen the two-year treasury yield and treasury yields just across the curve going up. Um, financial conditions are also tightening as uh, you know, credit spreads are uh, widening here. We're seeing equities and we had the NASDAQ in correction territory um, earlier this week. That is uh, in and of itself part of the tightening uh, that people experience. So, you know, the Fed has the Fed has made its uh, made its its tightening intentions felt and those are front run in the market. So it does have that applicability in the here and now. All right. Well, more to more to get into in the coming weeks on uh, on this as we see how the uh, see how this plays out. I mean, one, one of the things we did talk about was uh, uh, that you know Bry uh, referenced is uh, the impact of sanctions on on a whole lot of markets. So why don't we take a break and come back and uh, get into that and see how that's impacting our uh, our macro economy? Uh, you're listening to the Macrocast. Markets Policy Partners provides sophisticated financial market analysis that is independent, accessible, and actionable for a broad audience. Learn more at marketspolicy.com or visit them on Twitter at Markets Policy. 
All right, back on the Macrocast. Uh, guys, so we, we have seen a, um, you know, a, really a historic uh, uh, run of, of sanctions imposed on uh, on the Russian economy. And, you know, I've heard people say, you know, we've never seen sanctions uh, imposed on a country this big. I, we've never seen sanctions imposed on any country, I think, of the kinds that we're seeing uh, imposed on uh, Russia right now. Maybe, you know, maybe North Korea. Um, it is it is you know, pretty impressive. They, uh, it involves, uh, uh, you know, official, uh, sanctions, um, you know, uh, you know, of, uh, the, you know, United States and allies, um, uh, ending economic activity with, um, you know, with the country, uh, sanctions on the movement and travel of, uh, of, uh, you know, Russian businesses, Russian people, uh, the movement of uh, the, the, the yeah, economic transactions that are allowed in uh, in Russia, uh, including freezing central bank reserves and, and shutting off Russia's access to its uh, uh, externally held uh, reserves. Uh, some sanctions involving, um, uh, you know, f- uh, no fly zones, uh, access to things like um uh, Visa and MasterCard and uh, and other technologies, uh, export controls, not allowing the export of of uh, you know uh, technology into uh, Russia. Technology companies then, and all and many other countries, uh, companies, um, uh, but not while not required, uh, although it makes it difficult to live within a, a sanctions regime uh, where you you know you don't you don't want to. Uh, put uh, U.S. dollars into Russia, hard currency into Russia, um, the reputational risk that a lot of companies have faced have, you know, pulled out uh, their activities in Russia. Also, everything from McDonald's to uh, payment systems like Visa and MasterCard, service providers like Sabre Systems, the plumbing behind, uh, uh, you know, transportation and booking networks, uh, you name it, com- companies have pulled out to essentially isolate Russia. And it's had consequences in. Um, and, and Tony, um, most importantly, the, the lads at Chelsea have to take the bus. They can't fly anymore. <laughs> Chelsea. Oh, Chelsea. Uh, uh, that's, that's a whole subject. Let's, 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 let's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, Brian, you're not Chelsea, are you? I, I am. I am. I am. Uh, yes, yeah, you uh, grew up there, right? Yes. Yes. I, I went to secondary school in West London. So I, <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm blue through and through, as they say. Well, um, you, you were also complicit with uh, <laughs> the invasion of a free and poverty. In, in, my, in, my, in my defense, you know, I was a fan long before he bought the team. Um, but I will, not, I will not pretend that I did not enjoy the success. That yeah, his money, his money it's been brought. a good 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, you can go back to supporting them now since Abramovich gets, you know, zero money from it. So yeah, you can go blue with a, with a clear conscience now. <laughs> Uh, but, but so this, you know, uh, these sanctions had had, uh, you know, some intended consequences and, you know, the the, uh, the intended consequences were to, you know, make economic life in Russia very difficult, not just for oligarchs, but even for, you know, through through the economy uh, to send a message to uh, not just elites, but also, just, you know, citizens of Russia that their country was behaving badly. Um, there were uh, there were known consequences of uh, this policy that were trying that, you know were uh, attempting to be managed. Things like the oil and energy markets, where there were um, you know, uh, uh, provisions allowed for 
uh, and, uh, energy trading and energy uh, purchases uh, because you don't want allies uh, suffering too much from uh, the sanctions on uh, on Russia. Uh, grains, uh, you know, trying to understand what's going to happen with the wheat market um, this this summer is a really important uh, consequence that was expected we're going to have to deal with. Then there are the unintended consequences, and I think exposed even some you know some weaknesses in commodity markets is what you know, what went on with with nickel. Um, uh, I don't remember anybody saying, "Hey, look out for nickel yeah. uh, if Russia invades Ukraine." Maybe somebody did it in you know the nickel daily newsletter somewhere, whatever that thing, you know, if there, if that exists, you know, I'm sure it exists somewhere where, you know, the battery guys or someone were saying, Hey, Hey, uh, you know, keep an eye out for this, but I don't think that's the case. Cause I didn't see it much priced in ahead of um, the Russian invasion. Brendan, you've been taking a look at this, like what, what exactly went on here? Um, and and uh, especially on the London metals exchange. Right. It, it was really very much a perfect storm, uh, especially for a, a smaller market, like nickel market. You, you had uh, with the fed tightening and, and other central banks too, liquidity has, has, it hasn't dried up, but there, there's less liquidity in the market than there was before. Then you overlap that with the situation in the crane, Russia doesn't make anything, but they do export a lot of, of, of uh, rare earths and, uh, and oil and, and gas, and nickel being one of them. So two weeks ago, the, the price of nickel doubled uh, overnight. Um, th- that's not supposed to happen. What you it have was, it was about from around what forty? We got up to hundred thousand. Uh, yeah. hundred thousand dollars a ton. Yeah, a ton. Yeah, and so. Both the producers and the consumers of commodities will hedge. That's what the, the futures markets were originally created for. It was for you know farmers in the Midwest so that they could lock in a price on their corn or wheat. But you also have speculators uh, use the, the same thing to just try to bet on the price of, of oil or, or, in this case, nickel. So two weeks ago, what happened was a, a stainless steel group in China had an enormous short position. They had it partially because they, they consume it, but also apparently the, the CEO was a bit of a, of a he likes to, to, to speculate in the market. And he had a massive position because of the war. Prices started to go up and he started to get margin calls. So then basically it spiraled out of control and the LME had to shut the, the, the market down. And they kind of did the unprecedented where they, they actually canceled a number of trades. An entire day's worth of trades, yeah. right? No. Entire. So once once the the, the, the huge uh, spike went up, they they canceled all of those trades. That that's not really ever supposed to happen. This mm-hmm. week, the basically the opposite is happening, and, and the prices of nickel is crashing. And uh, LME again now now there's a third issue with the LME, and it's a technological issue. They, they, they've had some glitches in the the market today, and they again had to cancel a number of of trades. Uh, but because the price got so high, it got uh, unwound, and now it, it's crashing because it it was un it was artificially too high. Um, but but again, for the second time, so they, they canceled. They had to stop trading yesterday, and they they had to stop trading again today. Um, so basically, now I think they're putting a limit of of five, maybe ten percent movement. I think it's up to, if, if I think it's bigger. Eight. They 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 shut it down for a couple. Yeah, hours. I think it's it was five. I think they 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 widened the band to eight percent. Um, mm-hmm. Eight percent per day movement, which is gets you like which trading is stopping within like I don't know forty minutes of opening. Exactly. Maybe, maybe as soon long. as you yeah. start trading again, it it goes down. It and they, they have slams to the bottom, and um, 
and then uh, you go away for another day. Um, I want to get into one one point on this of just yeah, you know, markets aren't supposed to work. This is one that's not the way markets are supposed to work. Um, but could we just begin with how insane it is that somebody had the idea that like you know with this what was going looking at you look at the world and you say uh, I'm going to put a massive short on nickel yeah. uh, right it's like I don't even understand I mean it takes it's just proof that it takes all kinds to make a market right oh totally and I think I mean, he, all he kinds, had it like, on before the invasion and it was just so massive he couldn't get out of it because everybody else knew that was an insane right, outlook in the world even yeah. if you're right to cover I mean, your like, short you have to sell that short to someone has to buy it and no yeah. <laughs> no one would touch it <laughs> he's in a weird position though also because they are he's in uh real metal mm-hmm. right so he, so he, and he, he actually owns, consumes it. His company, yeah. So he owns it. nickel, right? So I mean, look, I mean, you, uh, so he owns nickel, which is raised, rising in value. He had a short on that it was going to fall in value. Yep. And so then he's facing margin calls and has to. You can't sell double. nickel. You can't sell nickel fast yeah. enough to pay off your margin calls. So he has to go out and borrow money to cover his margin. Yeah. Uh, margin. So it was a double whammy for him. His, yeah. The price went up because he still has to make stainless steel products, and he, he lost all his money on the short. And ironically, so it, it, yeah, yeah, and ironically, investment banks around the world had to basically kind of come together to, to loan money to him to to, to save the yeah. nickel market. Here. That's right, and and he can't sell physical nickel at the top of the market now because it's um, exactly at which point, as, as someone who's more of a macro person and is not necessarily like follow every like you know all the plumbings of the various financial markets or commodity mm-hmm. markets, at which point do we need to start? saying, you know what, we need to start treating these markets not so much as like financial areas where you're buying or selling or hedging or whatever, or it's a place where people are sometimes are just gambling, right? And it's sometimes they're making ridiculous bets that make no sense as we've just laid out, as, or as Tony just like really laid out. And someone needs to be, someone needs to be there to save this guy from himself, right, before he makes his bet and say, you know what, this makes no sense. We're not letting you go through with this because yeah. on the other end, you, you, you could cause a, ma- a massive dislocation that puts us in the, in the spot we're in right now, right? Like, how, like at some point, who is, who, or how, what, what mechanism is in place to prevent this from happening again? Yeah, that's what happened with long-term capital management. They just had massive uh, macro bets and almost blew up the world. <laughs> yeah, look, I, yeah. Think, I think the, the, the uh, to me, the lesson is that um, this is why you want deep, rich, liquid markets right i mean like in big bigger markets it's really hard to take uh big positions that force this kind of thing so i i, I would also say i'm not uh what what lme did in the face of this i think was pretty unconventional i mean you know brendan said you know canceling an entire day's worth of trades these were people in the markets who they made trades there was someone on yeah. the other end but there was someone on the other, other side of every one of those trades and you cancel it and that was, so that's one thing, uh, you know, that's one thing they did. Then it shut down trading for a week uh, because you think, uh, you know, you're, you're telling markets, look, we think the price of, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the prices are out way, so far out of whack that we need everyone to get their wits about them, breathe, take a moment, reevaluate what they, you know, really think is going on with these markets. And then we'll reopen and you can come back and, um, and, uh, and get back to the right price whatever that is you know i mean uh what, what an lme isn't saying we we think we know what the right price is or saying that 
you guys obviously don't know what the right price is. There are other things going on here and we need to corral it a little bit and get you guys back on the, on the normal playing field. So they do that. But the problem is you still can't not get in and out of the market. Yeah. Uh, and I would just say, if it were a bigger market, if it was you know bigger, more liquid, first of all, I think it's, you're less likely to have that problem on the front end of any one short position you know, causing, uh, you know, causing a problem like that. I also just think that you, you know, you can, you could, you could allow the market to correct itself a lot, a lot better if it's, um, uh, if it's more liquid without having wilder swings uh, in, in prices. Um, so I think, I look, I think LME was in a tough place, but also I think they need to, you know, they, they need to figure out more, some market structure kinds of uh, issues to anticipate, you know, acute short-term uh, market instincts of traders and how they're going to be able to work in those uh, in that yeah. place because it's huge, huge consequences. I, know. I mean, lot, you know, big knock-on effects of uh, you know when you start when you what what you know what happens with margin calls is um, you know is people selling good stuff to pay off bad stuff. Yeah. That's what's happening. And, and so you cause really dislocations in, um, um, in markets and, uh, and, you know, you have the good stuff paying for the bad stuff and you don't like, you know, you don't want to see that, um, you know, and especially in commodities markets where if it's a stock market, if stock goes down for a day, some people made some money, lose it, it, it'll correct it. But commodity markets, we have to consume these things, (laughs) Yeah, you know, so it really does trickle all the way down to the bottom. That's a really good point. And, uh, and it goes to something that Bri said, which is, you know, when it, this, it's bad enough that the nickel market went crazy. You know, when you're thinking about things like wheat and, uh, yep. you know, natural gas in, uh, in the EU needed to heat homes, that sort of thing. These are also, you know, market, uh, markets that have experienced some pretty wild swings, some incredible upside in prices. Obviously, you know, speculative elements in there, no question about it. Uh, but this is a, it's, it's, a, it's a really challenging time. The, uh, the ability for, you know, the world to make up this deficit in wheat that we're going to be seeing and the, wares, uh, the ways in which, you know, when you look at where Ukrainian wheat went, places like Egypt, you know, that's not a, that's not a place where, you know, food, <laughs> food shortages uh, would be taken lightly uh, and, uh, and they would have really big real world consequences for people. So yeah, it's a really challenging thing. It really is. I'll tell you, as someone, you know, I, I, I sit on the board of uh, World Food Program USA it's very much on our mind, um, you know, not just with, you know, what will now be uh, hunger, malnutrition in, um, in Ukraine, uh, but also this, as you mentioned, John, the, the, the knock-on effects of uh, the uh, unavailability of especially Ukrainian wheat in, uh, on, on world markets um, is going to cause, uh, you, know, you know, real problems for a lot of emerging market countries. Uh, well, we're going to, we're going to do a lot more, you know, we're going to do a lot more analysis. There, there are going to be more sanctions to come. Uh, and I think, um, it's, I think it's important to remember that, uh, sanctions, a lot of sanctions were announced, you know, one, two, three weeks ago, there were new sanctions announced, uh, this week in Europe and more to come in the United States as well. It actually takes weeks for some of these, some of the sanctions to actually be put in place. And, and actually, so I think there's, we're going to be learning a lot more over the next, um, uh, weeks over, you know, what happens in a lot of these markets and how it has a broader uh, economic impact. What do we have uh, looking ahead the next week, guys? Uh, so China on Sunday, uh, they're essentially their Fed 
funds rate, their loan prime rate, uh, they have a meeting to decide whether to move that. They've held it steady recently. But uh, this week, we actually did see some kind of stimulative measures from China, um, especially after they had a, a massive tech route. Um, and then also, so the market um, PMIs, uh, market's a private company that does surveys, uh, both services and um, and manufacturing. So that'll kind of be our first global data point from March that will encapsulate the the the, the Ukrainian situation and and how it's affecting uh, growth. Other than that, it's pretty quiet week. Yeah, that's good. We could use a quiet week. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Although I, I am curious, I know this this tech is going to fall within the next week category, but I do know there's meant to be a call today at some point between um, President Biden and China President Xi. Yeah, it, it just started. But yeah, okay, exactly. So I'm curious to see a the outcome of that and what what knock on effects that has um, going into next week. That's a really good point. All right, guys, we'll look forward to that. Um, Brian, great to have you back on again um, uh, this week. Thank you for having uh, me. Uh, have a great weekend. Um, looks like I think I think we're most of us are going to have good weather this weekend. So get out and enjoy it. Have a um, uh, have a great spring weekend. We'll see you next week on the Macrocast. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. 